Church Life Today podcast is a production of Redeemer Radio and the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame and is brought to you in part by Notre Dame FCU and our listeners. Hi, everybody. This is Leonard DiLorenzo, host of Church Life Today. Before we get to today's episode, just a quick word from me to you. We just passed our second anniversary of this show, and I wanted to say thanks. Thanks for listening, and thanks for all the great feedback you've sent our way in the past two years. If you like what you hear in our conversations with pastoral leaders and scholars, please pass our episodes along to others. Everything's available online at RedeemerRadio.com slash churchlife or on SoundCloud at Church Life Today. And if you live in an area where your local Catholic radio station does not carry our show, call your station, send them an email, ask them to take us on. Now let's get to today's show. We all know that we need better leadership in the church. Of course, that means that those we already recognize as leaders must be formed for and embody the highest levels of integrity, honesty, accountability, humility, and charity. But better leadership also means discovering new models of leadership, more co-responsible models, whereby the gifts and expertise of the clergy and laypeople, professionals and pastors, men and women, are brought together in service of the church's mission of evangelization. So what role does managerial and strategic expertise play in this development of church leadership? The church is not a business, but parishes and dioceses face strategic challenges that call for the expertise of business professionals in an increasingly complex world. My guest today is not only thinking about these dimensions of leadership in the church, she also bears responsibility for them in the third largest diocese in the United States. She is Betsy Bolin, Chief Operating Officer for the Archdiocese of Chicago. She delivered a major presentation on leadership and strategic management at the Calden Co-Responsible Conference hosted by the McGrath Institute for Church Life. And today she joins me, Leonard DiLorenzo, to talk about her work, her archdiocese, and leadership in the church today. Betsy Bolin, welcome to the show. Great, thank you. Thanks for having me. You're the chief operating officer at the Archdiocese of Chicago. Now, Chicago, this is a big place, and the Archdiocese is a big institution. So can you give us just some sense of what managing an archdiocese like this entails? Sure. I I think one of the things that we often underestimate in church is the size and complexity of a lot of our large dioceses. So the Archdiocese of Chicago has more than 300 parishes, more than 200 schools, more than 40 cemeteries, a billion dollars of uh, operating revenue or budget. And when you compare it to other large institutions, even other large universities, they're they're actually very comparable, uh, but often have never been given the kind of management expertise needed to manage that large of an institution. And so one of the things we're trying to do is how do we think about bringing management skill in the in, a, in the context of a church setting, given the size and complexity that the archdiocese is. Yeah. When most people, like me, hear a billion dollars, that's a lot of money. Is that a lot of money in an institution of this size? I mean, many people, maybe from the outside, would hear, think of the Catholic Church and just think, well, you know, it's taking in all this money. Where's all the money going? Right. But a billion dollars in the archdiocese, where does this go? So, uh, 
A billion dollars is what I would call the operating budget of revenue. Uh -huh. We actually, uh, as an institution, are, are uh, not break even at all, because when you think about this, the size and magnitude mm -hmm. we are, uh, you know, the billion dollars will consist of all the different parishes and schools that are collecting, doing collections and revenue relative to their costs. Uh, consists of numerous charity operations and cemeteries. So uh, the size of the archdiocese has you know, more than that in cost, actually, and that's the revenue that supports that. Okay, all right. In our present climate, um, where trust and authority has certainly, and for good reason, uh, been called into question, um, and people are not, many of the faithful and many of those who aren't faithful don't have the same kind of trust that they might have had previous to the most recent scandals. Some of that comes down to the trust relative to financial responsibility. It's related to some of the other things. What are some of the measures um, of stewardship, of accountability, that are present in a place like Chicago? So I think um, while there might be uh, many reasons behind the concerns about you know, trust and transparency and accountability, I think one of those, uh, one of the, the factors leading to that is that our dioceses have been run without the right amount of skill relative mm. to the complexity they are. So we just might not have had the full set of skills around how do you think about financial management, how do you think about implementing good processes, whatever they are, so that you actually are being, you know, making prudent decisions, being good stewards, making the right decisions. And so I think a lot of the work that we're, you know, doing is uh, first and foremost making sure that we work closely with the Finance Council that actually has a good understanding of our financials and what the drivers are of those, but also trying to be uh, holistic around how we think about accountability and transparency, right? What are our processes for uh, protecting children, as an example? Right? What are our processes for how we think about what the right mission investments are relative to what the right focus is for the church? And so a lot of what I think uh, people with my skills do is to try to actually think hard about um, you know, making good mission-based decisions for the, for the good of the church. Yeah, I want to think about this point together for a moment. So I think one way that many people, myself included perhaps, would, would think about this is we just need our priests and bishops to just do better at this stuff, the management. But it sounds like there's a shift here, which is that, no, actually, we just haven't had the, the right people with the right skill sets um, helping with the management of an archdiocese of a parish. Does that sound right? So... So I think, the, I think the answer is a, a little of both. A little of both, okay. And what I mean by that is, um, I, you know, I, there's no doubt that we haven't helped our pastors uh, have some basic grounding in administrative skill historically. Mm -hmm. I think historically, if you were to go back 40 years, you know, my guess is that, the, well, what was absolutely true was people were apprentices for a long time as associate pastors, and they learned before they became pastor. And I also believe back then that there were enough priests that only those with good natural aptitude became pastors. So what ended up happening is over the years is the complexity of our parishes has increased, mm -hmm. but the amount of skill we bring to that has decreased because our pastors come into their roles much younger right. and they may not have the same aptitude as before. Right. And so I do think there's some benefit around how do we train them and give them some basic grounding in what good management is. Having said that, especially at a diocesan level, the way I would think about it is the management of large institutions is a profession, and there are people who are in that profession. 
And just like if you were to take someone who had good knife skills in the kitchen, you'd never make them a surgeon, right? right? I think of, I don't think the analogy is that different, right? Yeah. Which is there are people in the world who've devoted their entire professional adult lives uh-huh. to getting trained in a specialized way to management and then practicing it before they ever lead a large institution. And so sometimes we expect our bishops to be able to do that when they've had no training whatsoever right? and maybe no aptitude, right? right? And, th- and they'll never be able to give it the time that professionals have. Mm-hmm. And so I think in some cases we are over-assuming that training can solve the problem um, when I don't think that's possible. And so uh, I do think it takes bringing in new skills. Yeah. Now, how you do that in a way that ensures a sense of deference to pastoral sensibilities and an understanding of a mission and how to do it in a pastoral environment, that's, a, a, that's challenging and not easy to do, um, recognizing that the, the bishop still makes the decisions. And so I think that's where we're still trying to sort out as church how, how that works. Yeah, and I think that would be worth talking about. Maybe we can get to that. I want to go back to the, the first point about the increasing the training for for priests. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love your point about the apprenticeship, which maybe many of us don't think about that, the, the reduction in the amount of time of apprenticeship. And when a, a seminarian is leaving the seminarian, has been ordained, um, maybe as an associate pastor for three years, and they're pretty certainly going to be a pastor just because of the, the right. need out there. Right. So if we are to, as a church in our diocese, um, going to increase the training for priests on management, not to expect them to do everything. We need to uh, right. more than complement that. Right. Where, where, do you th- where would you like to see that training take place? Do you think this should be part of the training in seminaries? Is this part of the responsibility of the diocese that receives them back to have sort of on-the-job training? Where do you think that might work best? So, so I, I would say a mix. I, I know there's a lot of discussion around how uh, seminarians have uh, no training in, uh, in these matters, and as a, that's a source of frustration. I also understand from those who are on faculty of, of seminaries that some concern about is at the right time, mm-hmm. given that they're just not ready to use those skills. So, uh, you know, I do think some background's probably helpful at the seminary level, but basic background around management. Mm-hmm. And then I think there's probably a way to build that in over time as they get prepared to be pastors. I think the way that we often do it now is we take someone and throw them in to be pastors, <laughs> yeah. and then maybe try to backfill a little training uh, isn't the way to do it. But I would do it as they get closer to the actual role yeah. and in the role, right? Yeah. Uh, as especially as they get started. So it sounds like reclaiming a new kind of apprenticeship model, maybe. Right, I think right? so. It and, may not be. And in a different way. In a different way, so yeah. I, so I would say that, you know, 40 years ago, we did have training. It was mm-hmm. through apprentice, right. apprentices right. to older pastors. Right. And then when that uh, went away, we didn't... We didn't replace we, it. We didn't replace it. That sounds right. This is Leonard DiLorenzo. You're listening to Church Life Today and Redeemer Radio. I'm talking with Betsy Bolin, Chief Operating Officer for the Archdiocese of Chicago. Now, when we start talking about money and management, it can sound like we're thinking about the church as a business, right. which the church isn't a business, and if it were, it'd be a very bad business, right? right? It's not a, a business, but many, but the church faces many business-like strategic challenges, decisions. So where does this, I don't know if it's balance, tension, how does this work itself out between using business practices and business expertise in the church, which is not a business? So I think it's a very important question. I think it's the one that we wrestle with as we try to bring these skills together. And I think often uh, people do think of my role as chief operating officer as like the head business person. Mm. And I, I would say I'm actually, I bring more you know, strategy and organization skill than business skill. 
and the strategy and organization skill applies anywhere as long as it's got the right pastoral sensibilities. Yeah. So I was talking to someone earlier, I think there was a concern from a pastor about, well, if I'm trying to make a, a decision as a pastor and I have sort of all the business people around, they're gonna try to overrun my pastoral sensibilities. And I, what I think I tried to articulate was, well, no, the, the right way is to actually figure out a way to institutionalize those sensibilities so they're actually making better decisions across the system. So as an example, when we think sometimes about um, you know, schools, right? we actually would say, we think about them, I think, in a very mission-focused way. When we think about how we allocate school dollars, we focus first and foremost on serving the poor. We focus heavily on, you know, on schools that have vitality and mm -hmm. you know, in, in growth. We focus areas where there's possibility for new growth. We focus on making sure there's no deserts. And those criteria are all mission-based, right? Right, and so it's it's actually trying to apply, sort of maybe business thinking or business ideas, but using uh, pastoral sort of mission criteria, right? And that's one example I think of how it comes together. Because for the pastoral pastoral mission aspect of it, you need all this information in order to discern correctly, right? Correct. And so one, you know, so one example, if you didn't think about it in a systematic way, mm -hmm. in any sort of ad hoc situation, you may choose to make this decision, but it's not thinking of all the factors. Right. And so I'll give another example where someone decides to start an ethnic ministry. It's very mission focused, Absolutely. right? In a town right. or in a region. But it could be that the demographics would suggest that it's moving away from that ethnicity. It's going to a different ethnicity. Mm -hmm. Or it could be there's lots of other programs nearby, so you're actually going to hurt everyone else instead of actually helping. Or, and right, and so, and it's so, a market analysis is and what so, you have to do, right? And yeah. so without the business skills, you may just make this decision. Yeah. And the factors we're considering when we try to systematize it are actually mostly mission-based, right? There yeah. might be a little, even the, even the, the resourcing ones are, is this a right way to be stewards of resources relative to other ways mm. of doing it? So I would say the majority of the criteria and the ways of thinking about it are mission-based. You're just bringing a skill set around how you think about those decisions. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And in that example, it sounds like, you know, some of the challenges are in terms of the time frame for the imagination that with a lot of pastoral uh, thinking, we're thinking about what do we see right now? What should we do right now? What's the thing to do right now? And one of, the, one of the benefits of adding in these strategic and organizational skills is actually changing the time frame right. for discernment, right? Absolutely. Like, what will this look like actually 10 years from now, and what's the historical trend that left us, right. led us here? So I do find that because I think our pastors are very practical people and they're focused on the here and the now and the people they're serving now, I think sometimes we don't look back and we don't look forward. Mm. So there's classic examples where we're investing in things now but when you look at the demographic trends, won't apply. Okay. And there's just as many times when we're focused on our understanding of our situation now without recognizing the history we've come from. So one example I often use is, uh, pastors will often uh, describe to me how, um, how their, their, per their, their parish is so stable and so vital because they have a pretty healthy parishioner count. But what they don't realize is it's actually down 20% over the last 10 years because uh -huh. they just think about it in the here and now. Uh -huh and how you think about what you need to do with the parish if you think it's fine and stable versus down 20% matters. Yeah. And yet we won't necessarily look that way to, to know what the trends are. And if you had investors, the investors would be freaking out by right. that because that's right. the sort of stuff they're looking right. at, right? Do you find there's a temptation to spiritualize management issues? And so give me an example of what you mean. So, I think about you know something like the phrase, well, we have to we have to be led by the Holy Spirit. We got to leave room for the Holy Spirit, and so yeah. sometimes there are practical issues that you want to spiritualize. But uh -huh. 
it's almost like the practical is against the spiritual right. rather than a really Catholic, especially a Catholic sensibility where so, so it's happening the, in the, the practical. Way I, a priest once helped me uh, think about it as uh, our skills are actually helping to provide room for the Holy Spirit. Ah. And so there's no doubt that, that we'll have those conversations around, are you crowding out the Holy Spirit? Are yeah. you replacing the Holy Spirit? Yeah. And I, there's no doubt, I think, just like all of us struggle with, even in our personal lives, the busyness of today versus taking time for prayer. Right. I think it, that, that's magnified at a, in a diocesan level, for sure, at a parish level. And so there's always the tensions of how to make sure you're giving room for the Holy Spirit, absolutely. Mm -hmm. But, but the, 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 the existence of a new way of thinking doesn't, it does not mean you're replacing the Holy Spirit in crowd. I, I actually think it helps give room. Yeah. Right, because yeah. for example, when we're trying to think about how do we make the decision X, well, if we kind of did it on the fly because we're just looking at decision X, I'm not sure it makes the right mission-oriented decision. Mm -hmm. But if you say, well, we're gonna get 50 of these and let's discern how we should think about it holistically, I think that helps think about, well, what's the spirit telling us about those decisions holistically? I like and it the, gives you more time, right, to think about it holistically versus the one-off situation when it comes. Yeah, and just hearing and, you talk. And pray about it and reflect on it. Yeah, 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 and it, it, it makes me think that maybe we, we've adopted some kind of like competitive paradigm, like as if it's a zero-sum game between the spirit's work and right. the human work, Right. but that's so, not a Catholic so, understanding. So uh, there's um, the, the phrase that I use that uh -huh. is a sort of my phrase in the Archdiocese of okay. Chicago, I, which either came, well, there's, some people say it came from Augustine, others say it came from somewhere else. I don't know where let's it came from. Let's just say it came from you. No, no, yeah, I, yeah, it definitely on. didn't come from me. <laughs> but the, uh, so let's credit St. Augustine, but I don't know if it was. Everything goes back um, to him in the West, so that's fine. Uh, which is you, you, uh, you pray as if it all depends on God and you work as if it all depends on you. Mm. And so I, that's how I like to think about what we're trying to do. And so you know, we need to pray as if it all depends on God and yeah. we need to work as if it all depends on us. And so that does mean we, we bring the best we can of our work mm -hmm. and all the skills we have. As we yeah. Do. I like that. Well, I'm going to make t-shirts with that quote on it, and I'm going to attribute it to you, and then it's oh, over. No, please don't, because that's definitely not mine. <laughs> okay. Um, how has, especially in the archdiocese, how has the, the who and the how of decision-making changed in your time there? Sure. So I would say that um, I'll start with the how of decision-making. Okay. I think what we try to do is... Um, we, we've skewed uh, to a little more to sort of what I call the, the good of the institution. So we'll think about sets of decisions and think about, well, how, how in general should we make these kinds of decisions? And that doesn't mean we're trying to be formulaic or we're trying to be numbers-based. We're trying to say from the good of the church and in a way that promotes consistency, which mm. promotes unity, by the way. When you're making one-off decisions in a large institution and no one ha understands then how decisions are made, that's a way to create a lack of community. So All of us parents get that right. too, right? <laughs> like and, and so we do try to think about for de decisions, what's the best way to make these decisions? Mm. That's mission-based. Mm -hmm. And then with also routes to think about exceptions because there are gonna be exceptions. And so uh, the how is then about um, being more upfront about how a decision is made, um, thinking about like how we'll make them and trying to remain consistent to that process when the decisions do come in. And that, that has been a bit, can be a bit uh, culturally jarring to some when they want a personal answer and a personal, and the person is important, there's no doubt about it, and their needs are important, but we try to balance it with, in general, how we make these decisions and the good of the institution. So, yeah. that, so that's the how, and I think the tension point is around always balancing the needs of people with the needs of the institution. 
and and trying to be balanced about mm -hmm. that. And so that's the the how of the of decision making. The the I think the first one was the what the who, uh, the who, who of decision yeah, making. So I think we've gotten uh, quite good recently around uh, partnering decision makers. And what that means is bringing, you know, hardly any of us has the full set of skills in any decision needed in our in a church environment. So, um, you know, often the vicar general and I, as an example, or the cardinal and I will do these, at the end of the day, the cardinal will make all the decisions at the end of the day. Right. But it, it is trying to partner all of our skills together to make a good decision. And so I will find, because we've, we've upfront defined how we make decisions. There's times where other people can make them. It doesn't need to go all the way up to a bishop because we've already defined how to make them. And so sometimes more junior people can make decisions now because we're clear about how we make them instead of having every decision go all the way to the top. So that's how the, the decision making has changed. And then we actually bring more skills to bear in the decision making. Mm -hmm. And so I'll, I, will, I won't make any significant decision without getting a pastoral perspective. But I find it because we work well as a team, the cardinal or the vicar general will ask for a sort of an implementation perspective or a cost perspective or a process perspective that I might have on certain decisions. And so it's much more team-based decision-making. This is Leonard DiLorenzo. You're listening to Church Life Today and Redeemer Radio. I'm talking with Betsy Bolin, Chief Operating Officer for the Archdiocese of Chicago. So when you're hiring people to assist in this work of organizing, strategically developing, managing the archdiocese, what, what sort of skills, competencies, capacities are you looking for? So what I think we've tried to do in the Archdiocese of Chicago is, is broaden the skill base uh, in total. And what, I think the way we've thought about it is that there, are, there is specialized expertise out there. We often uh, sometimes bias towards assuming it can't uh, help us in a church-based environment, mm -hmm. and, but then have lost the expertise. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt that bringing in the expertise brings its own challenges, um, but we are trying to be more balanced about that. So as, as someone who's managing the overall archdiocese, that will mean bringing in specialized expertise we wouldn't have had before, okay. whether it's legal expertise, communications expertise, um, you know, all kinds of HR sure. expertise as an example. And so we will bring in more specialized expertise than we might have before. And then from a sort of a general management point of view, we are bringing people who have usually had pretty significant leadership responsibility of a large institution, whatever that is, whether it's mm -hmm. a nonprofit or a business or otherwise, and have, have really had sort of general management as a profession, right? And have had, I, I do find that our diocese are large and complicated, and that it, it does take someone who's had a pretty significant role in some other institution to be able to come and help lead a, a large archdiocese. So we will look for more senior, more significant skill sets than we might have in the past. Mm -hmm. and, and the good news is we're finding those. We do find very dedicated people willing to come to serve the church who have very, you know, very great skill sets. Yeah. I'd love to know a little bit about why, why they're coming. And maybe it's, it's hard to ask that in general, so could I ask it of you? So how did you end up doing what you're doing now? So I think, you know, I think all of us in some form or another would say we've had a vocational call. Mm -hmm. And um, it comes to various of us at various forms and times in our life. But I would say that's the root of all of it. And somehow there's people who are called to serve the church and, and, you know, maybe that would have meant they would serve a parish before, but now that they, they actually have the skill set to serve in a broader diocesan level, and they're very interested in, in wanting to do that. I, I would have discerned uh, at a very, you know, early age a sense of 
uh, of business as a profession and as a, and as a vocation back then. And at the time, I would have said the vocation was just working in a business environment as a Christian. Right. But I always, to be honest, had some sense that maybe that meant leading some kind of nonprofit institution later. And I would say it was a very clear call of helping the church, uh, originally in a pro bono way, and helping the church you know, with my volunteer time and then evolved over time. And I, I would say it, it, it's very truly a, a vocational call. I, would, I joke sometimes that I'm actually often miserable in my role because it's actually very <laughs> difficult, but there's this sense of joy in that misery because it's a call, and a vocational call. <laughs> And I, I see people who have uh, very faith-filled lives who, who clearly are, are called to serve the church in a deeper way. And more often than not, the, the people look for us. Mm. Right? So, uh, so a good half of our great leaders uh, came looking for us, mm. right? saying they had these skills to give, they started pro bono, they wanted to serve the church, and then they ended up um, serving and had been involved in their church before. Where were you before you took on this role? So I spent most of my career at McKinsey & Company, a mm -hmm. large management consulting firm, mm -hmm. um, and had served the, the church uh, on pro bono activities during that time. Right. So for somebody, maybe there's a younger person listening who's interested in following a path like you followed, to, or to end up in, a, in the sort of position like you have. How important would you say that earlier experience was for what you do now? Because it might think, well, I want to serve the church and I want to do it in this business way. And so we go to business school and then enter into. So I think it's an important question. Um, there's times I often say it took my professional experience to be able to be ready to do what, what I'm doing now. And I would say absolutely that is the case. Uh, on the same time, I've been um, so impressed and delighted by how many young people do come to the Archdiocese of Chicago, very talented, very willing to serve the church. And one of the things you know, that keeps me up at night is how do we then bring, give them that development experience on our lower resources so that yeah. this becomes a very real career for them. Yeah. So what we have done is we do sponsor sometimes people to go to business school, um, either part-time you know, that will help sponsor so that they do get those skills. I think our finance council and senior members of the business community are very willing to be sort of personal mentors to our young people as a way of helping. And so they do get very uh, significant sort of interactions with senior business people in a mm -hmm. way they might not otherwise. So we, we can bring that. And we're starting to think very <clears throat> intentionally around how do we rotate people more so they can develop skills. And so I think it's a top of mind question for us because we, we have phenomenal young talent and the question is how do we help make this be a very real career for them and develop. Do you think that that would be possible in the end to offer this kind of experiential training within, say, a diocesan environment for somebody at the beginning of their career to the middle of their career to become a senior mm -hmm. level leader? Do you think that we could do that within the church? So that is the so that's the that is the goal. Yeah. And you know we have some people at the archdiocese who came to us you know earlier in their career. Okay who I think we're having very serious conversations with about now, about how do we make sure they get the next level of development. And so I think we're, we're early on that. Okay. But I'd love to think we can find a way to do it because I wouldn't want to lose them. Yeah. Um, and they're people who I think the, um, you know, one of the, young, the great benefits of millennials, right, is they're, they're much more mission-oriented earlier. So I do think one of our imperatives is how do we take that and and develop that. In fact, and, and I joke because sometimes parents of, of certain millennials call me to 
to try to have me talk to their child about, no, no, you need to get business experience first, then do nonprofit uh-huh, later. And often uh-huh. they want to hear nothing about that, right? They're just ready to serve. Doing it, yeah. And so that is, I think, of one of our imperatives of how do we develop people early on. All right. Well, we're drawing near to the end, so maybe I'll, I'll just ask one more thing, and why don't we just end with a big one? Um, <laughs> that's a way to end, right? Um, as you think about whether it's the Archdiocese of Chicago, other dioceses like yours, or many of them are smaller, what do you think are some of the most significant issues that either in your position or around your position um, need to be addressed in the coming decade or so? So I, I think we've, we've become um, very committed at the Archdiocese of Chicago and thoughtful about how do we think about our priorities and what that means. Um, the, the first and, f- and f- most fundamental uh, priority is evangelization of younger, a younger generation. Mm. If you do look at the statistics, if you do look at how millennials and younger generations think about faith, we, we, we don't, um, our, our parishes were established in a structure that assumed faith and assumed families would grow in faith and assumed a culture that was supportive of faith. And that is disintegrated a lot. And so we have to think very differently around how we uh, introduce a life of faith and a love of Christ to people who won't necessarily grow into that like we would have thought in the past. Mm-hmm. And so when we think about um, you know, what evangelization means today, that's one of the top priorities and, and a critical priority for the church. And, and some people would be surprised that I would say that because they're like, why is a business person talking about that? But I do think about bringing strategic and organizational skills with our pastoral counterparts around that question. Yeah. So that absolutely is a critical one. And that kind of issue is not going to be addressed just by goodwill and and saying it's a priority. It actually takes strategic work. Strategic work. How do you think about implementing something Mm -hmm. that's different at a parish level? Mm -hmm. How do you bring up, institutionalize it across? And so I think we uh, we have our own tension points, but we have a good group of people uh, from all different skill sets thinking about that. So that's one for sure. Um, that includes, by the way, when you think about what evangelization means in growth, it, that, that's one. Uh, how you think about leadership development of priests and lay people, that's absolutely another one. Um, you know, vocations is critical, but it falls out of the other ones, hopefully. Um, but we need to think much harder about uh, vocations. And uh, related to those three is how do we think about parish vitality in a new day different than what it would have been before. Yeah. Um, related to evangelization. Uh, so those are some of the key themes that uh, we work on. I think g- given the trends we face, I think financial stewardship and accountability, unfor- you know, we'll always have to worry about mm-hmm. it, just given the faith trends uh, that we've seen. Mm-hmm. And so that's something we have to pay attention to. Uh, there's something that I would call foundational excellence. How do we build our skills to just manage better? And then we still will have, uh, you know, the legacy of, of the misconduct issues, and that we still have to continue to work through that. I think a, a lot of dioceses over the last 20 years have made great progress in how they protect children. And, but there's always more to do, and, um, and there's always more to continue to do, and there's still a lot of work with victims from the past that will continue to be something that we have to help and, right. and focus on. Very good. You've been listening to Church Life Today on Redeemer Radio. Our guest today has been Betsy Bolin, Chief Operating Officer for the Archdiocese of Chicago. You can watch Betsy's presentation at the Called and Co-Responsible Conference through the McGrath Institute for Church Life's YouTube page or by visiting our website at mcgrath.nd.edu. Just go to the conference page there. Betsy Bolin, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. And thanks to all of you for joining us on Church Life Today. This 
Church Life Today podcast is a production of Redeemer Radio and the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame and is brought to you in part by Notre Dame FCU and our listeners. Does debt have you down? Are you worried about your credit cards, your mortgage, or keeping your car? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union can help. Our people are trained to be financial physicians. They can give you a checkup, help you to heal, and then stay healthy. Don't be embarrassed, it's why we exist. When your body is sick, you go to see a doctor. When your finances are sick, you go to see the friendly folks at Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? 